Hi, my name is Ben Marsh. I'm the new student director here at Shepherd's Gate, and it is uh, my privilege to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, my family and I, we are excited to be a part of this church uh, and back in our home state of Michigan. You see, uh, we're, both my wife and I, I think I've shared before, are originally from Michigan. Uh, and we now have two boys. We've been living out of state for uh, quite some time as I've served as a student director uh, for the last eight years. Uh, so now we get to come back and we have two guys. We have a three-year-old named Ezekiel and he goes by Zeke. We have a six-month-old named Judah, who actually just learned how to crawl just this week. Uh, so lots of life has been happening for us in this transition. You see, we actually did a move, the big move, uh, all the way from Texas. Uh, we came up from just outside of Houston, uh, and we drove all the way up uh, to Michigan in one clean shot. It took us about 22 hours, uh, and we were packed to the gills in our van. We moved during the start of this whole pandemic. Um, my wife and boys were originally supposed to fly, and uh, we called that off as things were starting to get a little crazy. This was right around March 17th. Uh, that we were planning on moving. So we had to pack our van, uh, not only with both of our boys and suitcases and snacks, but also our 100-pound boxer dog, uh, as you can see here. One, two, three. Goodbye, Goodbye Texas. Texas. So we had quite an adventure getting here, and we overshot uh, Shelby Township just a little bit. As we we're going through this move, we realized that our house in Texas might still be on the market, and we were right. Uh, it's not quite the best time to be selling real estate, um, but that's okay. God is good, and so are my in-laws. They've been gracious enough to house us uh, for the last month here in the soaking in time with our boys and with us, uh, where we have a roof over our heads and we're all healthy, so we're thankful for that. But that's been our reality for the last month. So as I've kicked off uh, student ministry for myself here at Shepherd's Gate, uh, most of it's been done from a basement and my in-laws in Saginaw, Michigan, which is obviously uh, not the original plan, but it is, uh, it is what's working in this season. And I know that everyone else is feeling a level of change and discomfort and newness uh, and not their normal. And so it makes me wonder, and it's made me wonder over the last little bit here of where is it that you turn when you feel overwhelmed? When you're facing something that's bigger than yourself, bigger than a cross-country move, bigger than losing out on a sports season, losing out on your graduation if you're a senior, losing out on being able to travel to work, possibly even losing your job. When you're faced with a problem that is bigger than you, where do you go? Who do you call upon? Is it a friend? Is it a family member? Is it someone that you go to that has answers? Think when our hearts are struck with fear and uncertainty, we can sometimes freeze, and we also try to cling to something, something stable, something sure, someone that knows more than we do, so that we can rest. And see, right before we moved, I had this experience. You see, we took a couple days to ourselves, uh, Stephanie and the boys and myself. We, we decided to go uh, out towards a, a national park, and we stayed in a cabin one night, and the next day we got up, and um, you can see here, uh, they're happy. We're out in the woods. We climbed up a tower. We were checking out a dock. It was just like a, a good afternoon going out on a playground, and then we decided we wanted to go for a hike. 
And so we found a trail that was not too long, somewhere between a mile and two. It wasn't too bad. And we, we, as we were approaching uh, the trail, it was unlike a trail that I've ever seen before. Normally, I'm used to a dirt path, gravel, potentially maybe a paved path if it's really nice. Uh, but for whatever reason, the path that we were going to walk on for the next mile or two, for some reason, was raised up. You can see here, Zeke's kind of leading the charge. And here's this raised, almost boardwalk path that's going through the woods. And so we were enjoying our time looking at all the animals. And again, this is Texas, so there's little lizards everywhere looking up at all the tall trees, which was great. And we got a couple hundred yards into our walk, and then we froze. We stopped. Both Stephanie and I had a deep inhale. And right before us, in the middle of the path, where the boardwalk had a trail crossing it, a dirt path that came up to that boardwalk path, there was a snake crossing that path. Not just any snake. This was a copperhead or a water moccasin, a very poisonous snake that was in the middle of our path. And my son, my three-year-old Zeke, froze in that moment, wondering why mom and dad are all of a sudden struck with fear. And he didn't say anything. There was no audible yelp or scream or anything. He just froze in his tracks. And then after the snake passed on, leaving us, we, no harm, no foul, he moved on. But then, then when my son saw that snake, saw how we reacted to it, and all of a sudden he was processing some of this, and fear struck him. He tried to go to his mom, I'm sure, first, but she was holding our other son, Judah, so I was option number two, as dads tend to be, but he, he climbed up me, essentially, and had to be held in my arms, sobbing, crying, just inconsolable, struck with fear over seeing the snake and seeing our reaction to it. So I had to continue to carry him. He, he turned to me in the instance where the three-year-old was unable to process this snake in the middle of his path and his parents' reaction to it. He had to turn to someone, to something that was bigger than himself so that he could find a level of comfort. I believe that's where we find Paul in our text today. As we enter into Romans chapter 8, last week you heard Pastor Tim share in Romans chapter 7, Paul just in conflict with himself, talking about the good that he wants to do, he's not able to, and the things that he doesn't want to do are the very things that he does. And he, he calls himself a wretched man, struck with this inability to overcome his own sinful nature. He had to reach outside of himself. He had to see something. And seven closes as it looks to Jesus, and eight picks up where it left off. I'd love to share with you where it starts in Romans chapter 8. Verses 1 to 3, and it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and pause right there because this is good news, and this is one of the most popular verses in the Bible for a very good reason. This idea of condemnation is one that's a legal term. It's not one that we use very often. But it is that there is a penalty that needs to be paid. The fact of the matter is that none of us are able to live up to the expectation and the perfection the standards that God has set. So there's a penalty for that. There's condemnation. But in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is freedom. There is no penalty. This is good news for Paul. This is him turning to Christ and knowing that it's not dependent on him. And it goes even further to say that he knows it couldn't, been, couldn't be him who is able to live up to the law. Because it talks about these two different types of law. Let's, let's continue forward in our text. And it says, 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become a sin offering. That we were powerless. Our flesh, our ability, our minds, our strength are not enough. We are out of our leagues when it comes to our own sinful nature. We're out of our leagues when it comes to to God's standard. Our flesh, our ability just comes short. We are not able to live up to that standard. And that is why it is such good news that in Christ Jesus, that he's that offering for us. The fact of the matter is that we couldn't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. And that might be a sentiment that you're feeling this season. A sense of being overwhelmed, a sense of fear about the future, and a sense that you can't do this. You can't do it on your own. And in some regards, both you and I are correct with the statement that we can't do it on our own. It's not, de- not everything is dependent on us. And we don't have the ability to overcome any situation on our own. And it goes on in chapter 8 as it shares, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. In this season, as we're pressed in from every corner, as you're feeling more anxiety and stress, as you watch the news, as you see the different totals and projections and you speculate about what might be, as we talked about in weeks past, is this is an opportunity for our sinful nature to take over because we are filled and we are struck with fear and it leads to death in our life. And it can manifest itself in so many different ways and in old sinful patterns that we all have or new ones that it can find its way out and it can even just be that we're struck with fear and uncertainty and doubt and in doing so, we don't have the hope of Jesus in us. But the good news for us today is that it says that the mind governed by the spirit, that is the mind that is governed by the Holy Spirit is life in peace. Who right now could use some life and peace? I know I sure could. I know day to day it has been a roller coaster and that I'm longing for and looking for life and peace. I'm looking for a place where I can rest and have confidence. After experiencing the loss that we've all experienced, losing simple things like being able to hang out with friends, losing bigger things like high school seniors not being able to go to graduation or prom, our college students graduating, our eighth graders as they transition on, and just even simply being able to go into a school building, being able to do your commute to work, being able to experience what we used to know is normal. That's a loss. We have, there has been a death that has taken place, and we are all in the process of mourning that. And I know that we are all hungry for life and peace. And the reality is that the scripture tells us that It is not a matter of our circumstances that gives us life and peace, but rather it is if our mind is governed, if our mind is set on, if we are led by the Spirit, then we are able to experience life and peace. And so you might be wondering, as I am too, then how do we do this? How is it that 
in the middle of all of this chaos and uncertainty, how is it that we are supposed to experience life and peace right now? Well, Paul answers that for us later on in this chapter as it says that for those who are led by the Spirit of God, if we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God, we are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear, as we, many of us are living in fear right now, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. See, I think that this is, this is so key and crucial and critical for us to all realize in this moment because we're so quick to forget it, is that you are God's children. You are his sons and daughters, and you've been adopted. You've been bought with a price. And I think it's helpful to realize that Paul is writing this to Romans. And so in the first century, this idea of adoption is, is significant, as it is now, but it, it might look a little bit different in the fact that adoptions in the first century might not have always been young children. But rather, sometimes it could be full-grown adults that are working for someone that would be adopted. And so if they were adopted into a family, not only would they be able to share the same last name, not only would they be called siblings to their brothers and sisters, not only would they have a mom and dad, but they would have a share in an inheritance. They would have a right, and they would have been chosen for a particular reason. They would be chosen to carry forward the character and the name of the person who adopted them. And so that's what's taking place here. God, God is calling us. He's adopting us. He's calling us his children. It cost him something in Jesus that we might be his sons and daughters. And now not only do we have a heavenly father and we have the rights as his children, but we also have the ability and we have really the responsibility to care, carry forward his name and to be able to best reflect his character. And so that's what we're called to. And so I, in a season like this, I, it could sound heavy, but I hope it's an encouragement that first you're his child. And that in a season like this, with things pressing in on every side, feeling overwhelmed, feeling a sense of fear and a sense of loss, that God is first enabling you as his children and saying, you are mine. And then calling us to carry forward his name and act out in his character. And that we can cry out to him as our father. As it says in Romans chapter 8, continuing on, it says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There again, it's saying that we have all the same rights as children and that we can carry forward and we have an inheritance and there's hope in the future, but there's also a calling right now to be his children and to act it out. And in the midst of facing fear, we have someone we can call upon. When I asked you that question at the beginning of, where do you go when you're overwhelmed? We all go to different places, but Paul is pointing us here is that we have a heavenly father, not some far off distant God who doesn't know us personally, but a loving father with arms wide open, ready to embrace us and hold us and that we can cling to and find comfort in. There is emotion tied up and wrapped up in these words of crying Abba, which 
a, a great translation for it would be papa. It is, a, it is a term of endearment and affection, a child calling out to a father. And so in this season, I encourage you to be in prayer. But maybe your prayer should look more like a cry, crying out to God, saying, God, I need comfort. I need you to help guide me in this season. God, help lead me by your spirit that I could know that I'm your child and that I could step forward into what you're calling me into. You see, when we were on our path, when we were walking on that boardwalk and we saw that snake, Zeke was inconsolable and he was crying and he was in my arms probably for the better part of a mile. At least three quarters of a mile did I carry him. And it ebbed and it flowed and he cried and he stopped crying and he cried again and he conjured up thoughts about the snake and that the snake was possibly still getting after him or was somehow under our path. And through a calm voice of myself and my wife Stephanie, were we able to encourage him? We were able to draw him out from having to be held so that he could stand on his own two feet. And through pointing out all the things around him, the nature, the lizards, the trees, and hand in hand, both myself and Stephanie holding his hands, was he able to step back on to that path and finish out the walk with us? I believe that's what God's calling to us. He's saying, you're my children. This is difficult. It was never supposed to be easy. And I can hold you and you can cling to the fact that you are my children. And that is your first and foremost and primary identity. And from that place, not just staying there, but from that firm foundation of knowing that you're God's child, is that we can step forward and be led by his spirit. Letting him encourage and comfort and coax us out of our shells that are built around us because we're so struck by fear, but we're called not to be struck by fear, not to be timid. As Paul writes to a young pastor, Timothy, he tells him to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In this season, we are called to fan into flame the gift that we have, the faith that we have, the confidence that we have in Christ, that we have a heavenly father that would love us enough that he would send his only son to a cross to die, to, to take on the penalty, the condemnation that we were all supposed to take, that now we have hope, that we have an inheritance, that we have a new name, that we are his children, that we have confidence in the next life, so that we can also have confidence in this life. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what, what, what loss you are suffering, what uncertainty, or even just a level of boredom that you're suffering from in this season, that God has called you to be led by his spirit. And that through a season like this, that it could be a refining, that each of us, being led by God, could come out on the other end of something like this, looking more like him, allowing him to speak into our lives, to guide us, to let us hand in hand walk with him that we might carry forward his character in our daily lives.
that we might better reflect who he is to the world. And we're only able to do that because we're able to call on him, Abba, Father, Daddy, we need your help. And so that is my prayer for all of us in this season, that as children of God, that we can call upon him, that we can cry out, and that in him, that we can find life, that we can find peace and comfort knowing that he is our Father, and that we could live a life led by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you for these words, these reminders that in and of ourselves that we are weak and we are unable to do so many things, especially live up to the standard that you have created. And God, we thank you for these words that that through your son, that there is no condemnation, there is no penalty that we will suffer, but through him and through your adoption that we are called your children and that we face no penalty and that we have hope and that we have life and peace in you. God, we pray for life and peace for this congregation. We pray for life and peace to anyone who is listening. God, we pray especially for our high school seniors as they feel the weight of the loss of their, their, the end of their senior year and of their graduation, God. As they look ahead and they're uncertain, God, we pray for our families and our students who are still navigating what it means to be at home but going to school at the same time. And God, we especially, too, pray for all of those who are on the front line that are stepping towards fear every day. But God, we pray that you would give them life and peace, too, that they would have confidence in you, God, that they would have confidence that you love them more than they could imagine and that you are with them every step. God, we thank you for these words. We pray that we would cling tightly to them as you cling tightly to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.